So I want to um, invite anyone that has maybe wondered about being part of Pastor's Roundtable to join us. We start another round of Roundtable on Monday, tomorrow at 12 noon. We meet in the conference room and it's a simple concept. Uh, whoever comes and gathers, we look at the scripture that will be preached the following week and we just listen to the word and we ask our questions and we wonder and we share and we think and we reflect together. So there's not really any preparation. It's not really a Bible study. It's more of a reflection discussion group focused completely on scripture. And so we would love to have you join us. One of those things where you uh, can come whatever Monday that you are available to join us. And if you aren't able to come, we'll save a seat for you the next week. I also want to just invite you to, to, especially those of you that kind of sit in the same place every time, right? No, none of y'all do that, right? To look around and say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And to name those folks. And then maybe this week, would you pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I've missed you in worship. Um, We'd love for you to come back. We're saving your seat, uh, but join us again. But to, to at least think of one person, if not more than one person, that you might reach out to this week and just let them know um, that, that we've missed them. Um, I think that would be, would be wonderful. So... This morning, let's consider the Chinese calendar. This year, at least starting January 25th, is the year of the rat. Um, Last year was the year of the pig. I found out I was born the year of the dog, specifically the gold dog, whatever that means. But there are 12 animal zodiac signs in the Chinese calendar, and they're all, they're based on various animals, and each animal has a different set of symbols that are lucky or unlucky for them. And as I was thinking about the year ahead for us here at Boone United Methodist Church and trying to do a bit more theological reflection on what a symbol might be for our year, I decided that 2020 would be the year of the fruit. You'd be like, what? What does that mean? Why the year of the fruit? Well, we're going to be spending this year focusing on developing uh, our discipleship of Jesus in looking at ways of how we can go deeper and how we are forming and growing closer and, and, and shaping our life to look more and more like Jesus's life. And one of the ways we can tell how we're doing with that is by the fruit that we bear. So when good fruit begins to form, then we are indeed deepening our discipleship. And so this morning we will learn that bearing fruit is very important. In fact, even critical for our faith. So the year of the fruit. I invite you to hear from the gospel of Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. 
By the way, this is kind of important because uh, biblically folks would liken John the Baptist to the prophet uh, Elijah, and that is because Elijah wore um, um, pelts and uh, uh, camel's hair and also um, ate weird things and was a little, little wild kind of looking, and so was John the Baptist. Um, it was prophesied Isaiah would, I mean, Elijah would come back before the coming of the Messiah. So here's John the Baptist. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is, is, is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. This is God's word for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we have started a new year. So help us to worship you more fully. To renew our lives to your will and your way. To prepare for new possibilities and to bear fruit in your name. Amen. So author Doug Mendenhall shares this modern day parable, which I've adapted a little bit, but I think that it causes us to give pause and stop and reflect for a moment. So the phone rings, I answer it, it's Jesus on the other line. Jesus says, hey, I want to come by and spend a day or two with, with you guys, and I'm not, not too far away. Would that be okay if I stopped by? He's like, oh, it's Jesus, right? Like, this is not like you're having to weigh the odds of, of your in-laws coming into town and whether you've got to suffer through sleeping on the sleeper sofa or whatever other alterations that you have to tolerate. It's Jesus. I'm like, oh, man, that would be great. So when do you think you would be swinging through town? He said, well, actually... I'm at a gas station right at the edge of the city limit. And I realized, oh, that's like eight minutes away. And so I must have had like a deer in headlight look in my face. And Greg goes, uh, who is it? What's going on? What's happening? And I'm like, it's Jesus. He's eight minutes away. So Greg takes off. He immediately heads downstairs um, and we have now seven minutes to get ready for this. So I deploy him to the litter boxes because we don't want any not smelling um, pleasant surprises our cats might have left and um, he gets that ready. I turn off the 
television in the den, which is playing some scary, loud, weirdo movie that I've been partially listening to. But when that gets turned off, I still hear screaming and voices from downstairs. But Greg's on it. He's turning off ghost adventurers that he was watching down there. And so at this point then, he starts spot vacuuming because I hadn't turned on our little robot vacuum in a week, and you can tell. Um, and so I head into the kitchen, and man, all of those dishes in the sink, it's been a busy couple of days, and most of them have not made it to the dishwasher. So I'm on it. While I'm doing that, we've got about six minutes, five minutes left, and I notice the calendar on the refrigerator, and Really, all that's on the calendar are all the fun things that we've done. So I grab a pen and I add a few more service-oriented things that we have done, just so, you know, it's a little more balanced. Um, I head into the front room to clean off my desk, and I'm looking around for appropriate reading material, and I notice Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. So I grab that and the commentary that I use for this week's sermon preparation, thinking, well, that might be appropriate reading material that would make a good impression. I look out the front window and realize there's nothing I can do about the front yard and the front porch. It will have to be what it is. Um, but I do see the mail has come. So I run out to get the mail. We got about three minutes now left. And it's all bills and magazines from all of the stuff we ordered at Christmas. So I just stuff it back in the mailbox because Jesus doesn't need to look to see how much um, uh, online shopping that Greg and I do. I run back in. I fluff the pillows on the sofa and fold the cat blankets. And with one minute left... I realized something really important. It is impossible to get ready for Jesus in eight minutes. If you had eight minutes before that doorbell rang, what would you need to do? What would you need to do? Now, if we lived our lives every day as if Jesus was coming at any moment in time, like the Bible invites us to do, then we wouldn't have this problem, right? We wouldn't be scurrying around at the last minute. We wouldn't be trying to um, take care of things that uh, hide things or, or give a different impression than what everyday life would give. But the reality is that, that we don't live our lives that way. And so those eight minutes become a scurrying madhouse. Now, as we think about how we can be more intentional about our ongoing preparations of how we live our life, we can learn a lot about this from this passage today about John the Baptist's ministry. John doesn't get a lot of attention, actually. We usually talk about him around Advent, um, but he actually appears in every single one of the Gospels before Jesus' ministry begins, and that's significant because there are not a lot of things that fall into that category. The Gospel of Luke gives him the most preparation press time because it tells the origin story of Mary and her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy and the birth of John the Baptist. But he played a really important role. So one of the commentaries suggests John's entry, and particularly here in the Gospel of Matthew, is more like a call to worship, except it's not like the really nice, pleasant call to worship that Jeff might do. It's like, good morning, church. It's more like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Shakes the cobwebs off the pews. It makes us sit up a little bit straighter in our um, seats. But you see, um, 
He also brought something new and different to the ministry that he was about. He was talking indeed about repentance. Here's this rough around the edges throwback to um, Elijah. I think he reminds us a little bit of the role of Martin Luther King Jr. in that he was a threat to the powers that be. And this is why later King Herod had him killed and his ministry was ended prematurely. His message of repentance and a call to turn away from their sins, he especially directed towards the leaders and therefore was clearly a threat. But John offered something else new um, that no one else had called for so far uh, of the prophets. John's unique contribution to his prophetic teaching was the sacrament of repentance, his water baptism as a once and only sacrament. That was new to the Jewish world. They had rituals around washing and preparing, and every time they went into the temple, um, there were many rituals around purity and cleansing, but they were done regularly. This was a once um, only. Uh, it would actually eventually, obviously, you know this, make it into the, the practice of the Christians when the Gentiles then would convert. They were called to participate in this water baptism as an admission requirement into the early church. <clears throat> this was so different than what the, the Jewish people were uh, used to. But more importantly the use of this, than this use of the water for this cleansing was really the meaning behind the ritual for John. It was what John was calling the people to do that was so impactful. And especially the Sadducees and Pharisees, did you catch that? They were, they were here checking out what was going on. John was incredulous that they would come all the way out to the wilderness because you see, especially in Matthew's gospel, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, y'all, they were the enemy. They were the enemy. They were the ones who eventually would crucify Jesus. And yes, even they were coming to the wilderness to check out this strange prophet and to hear his message of repentance. Repentance. The word means it involves turning around going in a new direction, a change of heart, a new commitment. John calls for people to repent because only, only when we face sin squarely and renounce it can we be freed from it. Otherwise, it still haunts us. It still invades our lives. It still controls our choices. It still controls our heart. Today, we're sorely tempted to call sin by other names. We want to blame other people for our problems rather than accepting responsibility for that which are our sins. Such an attitude denies the reality of sin, and then, again, it, it allows no escape from it. It's hard to look at our own lives and admit the places where sin has crept in. Consider what would jump out at you if you truly only had eight minutes to prepare for a Jesus visit. How much sin would you be trying to cover up? At a deeper level, consider the hurts and the brokenness in your life. Can you name the ways that sin has impacted you, both your own sin, 
but also the sin of others. Sometimes our hurts and our brokenness are caused by collateral damage from a more collective sinfulness that, that we are a part of or affected by. I was at a workshop yesterday on conflict management and division. And one of the facilitators reminded us of something the ancient Christian theologian Irenaeus wrote. He, and I've not heard this example before, but it's pretty powerful. Um, but he talked about this metaphor of a mosaic. A mosaic, usually it's tile, but you break up the pieces and then you create the, the art from the different colored tiles. But Irenaeus was talking about uh, uh, an artist that created a picture of a beautiful young king out of jewels this mosaic out of jewels. And then we come along and we look at this and we're like, oh yeah, okay, we can make this better. And we arrange the jewels, but then it ends up looking like a poorly formed dog or a fox. And we've all together lost this beautiful picture of the king. But we look at it and we still try and claim, but yeah, it's the same, it's the same. And it's not. His example in this is that it's our sin that has altered this picture of Jesus. It is our repentance that tries to reclaim the face of the beautiful king. Because we need this beautiful king to make things right, to, to right our sin, to heal our brokenness, to point the way to what is right. But John's message about repentance it's not all about confession. And this is what I love about Matthew's version of John's teaching and preaching. Part of turning around and orienting towards Jesus means more than admitting that we have done wrong. It's also an opportunity to do right. John Howard Yoder says, to repent is not to feel bad, but to think differently. To repent is not to feel bad, but to think differently. That takes this important word, and instead of making it this guilt-ridden, um, heavy word that we tend to avoid, it turns it into a powerful God opportunity, a transformational moment in our lives. If it's an opportunity to think differently, then it is also an opportunity to act differently. Repentance is more than turning away from sin. It is also turning to a fruitful life. Verse 10, John the Baptist is talking about fruitful living is what builds up the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will go on to define what that kingdom living looks like, and we're going to continue to work on defining that ourselves this year but we call it discipleship. We are to live that way in the here and now and not wait until the future, until we die and go to heaven. When we profess our faith, we begin kingdom living right then and right there. The clock starts ticking. <clears throat> our lives should show that our repentance and our profession of faith in Jesus means that our lives look a little different that there's been a change within. When you think about that in your own life, what does that change look like for you? Because Jesus is in your life, how is your life different than what it used to be?
Can you name that? In the process of living into that kingdom living, that discipleship, we do our best to turn away from our sinful choices and the kingdom shines just a little more brightly every time somebody professes their faith. So the year of the fruit, what is in your fruit basket? As you cultivate your faith and you live your life, how might others see Jesus in you? These are the questions I invite you to continue to mull over and we can't possibly answer them today and in, even in one day. But starting next week, we are going to begin to earnestly reflect on this level of discipleship in our lives that is taking place. Where are we just going through the motions? Where has transformation actually occurred? Where is there meaning and evidence of the impact of our love of Jesus shining through? And why in the world is any of this important? And what might we do differently to bear good fruit this year? These are the big questions, and we'll take some time to answer them. But this is the year to stop tossing things in the closets and the drawers when we think Jesus is looking and to start living our lives in the way that is most meaningful, maybe especially even when Jesus is not looking. To discover or rediscover the joy of orienting our life around Christ and to experience the power of real transformation in our lives. Y'all, this is the year of our fruit the year of deeper discipleship. Welcome to 2020.